This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, October 20th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Lufthansa's AirTag issues have been formally resolved. We have the follow-up. A security researcher has discovered a flaw in VPN apps that are used on iOS. Or is it just a simple classic case of bug or feature? New iPads and a new Apple TV were announced this week, and we'll run down their new features. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing really well. Another week, another bunch of new Apple products, right? Yeah, we'll be talking about the new iPads later, as well as a new Apple TV that I wasn't even aware that Apple released. <laughs> yeah, you just found out about this 10 minutes ago. You were surprised. You know, I, I watched the video. I'll link in the show notes to the video that Apple made. So this video looks exactly like the kind of videos they're doing in their keynote events, whatever they call them. One thing I noticed that was different is usually you have a long shot and you see the person standing up, their whole body. And here it was just like torso and head was all you saw. So it kind of intentionally had a different sort of semiotics of the image to make you realize that it wasn't a live event. That was actually quite clever. But it's about 10 minutes long, which is all they needed to present the iPads. But we'll talk about all that in the second half. We do want to mention right off the top that macOS Ventura and iPadOS 16.1 will be released on Monday, October 24th. We'll be talking about them on next week's episode. All the final release candidates are available to developers. And... I want to say it's going to be exciting. I, I really like Stage Manager on the Mac. I don't want to use Stage Manager on the iPad. I think it doesn't work. I really don't see a lot of other interesting new features in iPadOS. There are things in Mail and Messages. We'll talk about them next week. There are a bunch of interesting security features, and we'll go into that. But that's for next week's show. This week's show, we want to follow up on the Lufthansa AirTag kerfuffle. Right. Yeah. So one extra little bit, and we talked about this at length in the last episode. So if you missed that, go back and listen to last week's episode for all the other details. Um, the one thing that we'll add is that last Wednesday, the German aviation authorities announced that they share the same risk assessment that Lufthansa had that tracking devices with very low battery and transmission power in checked luggage do not pose a safety risk. And so therefore, Lufthansa being a German airline now can confidently state that air tags are allowed on Lufthansa flights. So that's the end of the story. This whole thing started with some intern on a Twitter account, didn't it? Well, and, and then doubling down on it, they had two different people representing their, their company on social media who both said that air tags were banned. And those are the only public statements about it until everyone started talking about this. And then they kind of eventually had to release a, 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 not really a clarifying statement, more of a retraction, really. Okay. What about this new Chinese malware attack framework that targets Windows, Mac OS, and Linux system and has a name like a Marvel movie? Yes. Okay. So the latest command control framework is dubbed Alchemist, but it's not spelled correctly. It's A-L-C-H-I-M-I-S-T. And this framework is being used apparently possibly in the wild to target Windows, Mac, and Linux systems. This is just basically software for people who want to make malware to get to 
phone home to them and report back to a command and control server. So this is just a framework for people who want to make that kind of malware. And one of the things that it does on the Mac is that it exploits a particular 2021 vulnerability and this is known as the pwn kit vulnerability and it uses that to achieve privilege escalation so as long as you have a fully patched mac then at least your mac cannot be exploited by this particular vulnerability in addition to that of course intego software detects any use of that vulnerability and so any malware that's on your system that's trying to use that vulnerability is going to get caught anyway by intego virus barrier Alchemist does sound like a arch villain in a superhero story. I like how the article says this is a Chinese sibling of Sliver and Cobalt Strike, which must be a spinoff of She-Hulk, right? <laughs> Cobalt Strike. It, this is actually something that's kind of interesting to mention because this comes up a, a lot. What? Cobalt Strike comes up a lot? Cobalt Strike is not by itself malware. It's intended as software that is supposed to be used by good guys to sort of test to see whether you have vulnerabilities in your network, you know, whether um, software can phone home and all that kind of stuff. So the whole idea behind Cobalt Strike is that it's for the good guys to use for testing purposes when they're doing, for example, like a penetration test kind of scenario. But in reality, Cobalt Strike is often pirated and used by the bad guys. And so Cobalt Strike, therefore, is often associated with malware because of that. Okay, we have some news about DuckDuck Go. We mentioned a couple months ago that their Mac browser was in limited beta. It's now available in public beta at duckduckgo.com slash Mac. Yeah, that's right. Now, be careful. Before you go to that website, you should know that it's going to do a drive-by download. It's going to automatically download software, potentially, depending on what browser you're using. I think if you're using Safari, it won't automatically download it, but certain other browsers, it'll start the download immediately. It does start immediately on Safari if you previously allowed downloads from that domain. So in my case, when I went to it before the show, it immediately downloaded the disk image. I was a bit surprised because I had downloaded stuff from DuckDuckGo before. Ah. If it's your first time downloading, then you get that little alert that asks you whether you want to allow downloads from the site. Okay. So the main thing that you should know about this, this is a very basic browser. The whole entire application bundle is like 50 megabytes, which is kind of unheard of these days because everything other than Safari, if you go and look in your applications folder at any other browser, they're hundreds of megabytes. Uh, so basically what this tells me is that probably what they're doing is they're just using the WebKit framework that's built into macOS, and they're just kind of putting their own skin on it um, that with all the DuckDuckGo stuff. So they're defaulting to DuckDuckGo search engine, of course, and they're also kind of the one of the main reasons why you might want to use this browser on the Mac is that it's an easy way to get these uh, DuckDuckGo email protection short email addresses that we talked about several episodes ago. Right. I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode. The DuckDuckGo system is interesting. It works differently from Hide My Email, which is with iCloud. It's kind of surprising that they didn't want to go to the trouble to make an extension for Safari because they have extensions for other browsers like Firefox and Chrome. And instead, they made their own browser. Maybe 
they wouldn't have been able to make an extension because one element in their browser is tracker blockers. So they're selling the browser as more than just a tool where you can immediately autofill these duck addresses, but also tracker blockers. It's telling me the connection is secure, that requests were blocked from loading. Third-party requests were loaded, however, on this page that I'm on, such as Google and others. But it does a lot of the tracker blocking and surveying that Safari already does. One of the things that I find really funny about this browser is that at least in its current public beta version, it has no private browsing mode. And I guess, you know, they think that, well, we're blocking all these trackers and stuff and we're private by default. So why do you need a private browsing mode? Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to use a private browsing. mode. Isn't the point of private browsing to not store your history? So someone else can't come and see what you were looking at. Yeah, that's the main thing that people use it for is to to have something not show up in their history. But also all those other cookies and trackers and everything else that's associated with it also stick within that private browsing mode that, that other browsers have. Right. So DuckDuckGo is saying that you don't need that because they're already private, which seems a bit limited. As we said, though, this is a public beta, so it's possible they may be planning to add that. I don't know. It just seems kind of odd to use any browser today that does not even have that as an option. So maybe it'll come in a future version. We'll have to see. So let's talk about VPN apps. Apparently, some security researchers found that there is a serious flaw in all iOS VPN apps. So there's two things going on here. These researchers found a couple of flaws. They say that the first one is that iOS actually doesn't allow VPN apps to close all existing non-secure connections. So what that means is that if you've already established a connection with, a, for example, a website, any existing connections that are not made over a VPN do not get terminated the moment that you turn on a VPN. So that's actually something that is by design in iOS. Why it doesn't allow for that? I mean, we would have to ask Apple and and uh, they would have to actually provide an answer. <laughs> so wait a minute. So every once in a while, just to amuse myself, I swipe up on my iPhone and I quit all my apps and I count them and there's 50 or 60 or 70 because you go to an app, you do one thing and, you know, boom, it's there open for weeks. Does that mean that if I put a VPN on, none of those apps are protected? When I switch back to the app, its connection is still open to whatever server it's using, and it's not protected anymore. Sessions don't necessarily last for very long, but let's say, for example, that you were just recently, you know, a minute or two before you were just browsing a, a website, there might be an existing session connecting your device to that server. So this is not something where, you know, several weeks ago I opened a, a connection. It's not that kind of okay. a thing. This is like recently my device had just been in a session and now I turn on the VPN and that session still exists outside of that VPN context. Okay. So that's one flaw and it's really an iOS flaw or maybe by design, maybe Apple has done that on purpose. One would guess because this has actually been this way in iOS for quite some time. Why is it so different on iOS than the way it is on a Mac? On a Mac, you turn on a VPN and boom, everything shifts and goes through that VPN. Well, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, the Mac behaves similarly to the way iOS behaves on this. 
<laughs> which is not covered in this particular story, but I'm aware of some conversations that people have had about this possibly also affecting macOS as well. Okay, this is something we should look into and report back in a future episode. Yes. So, okay. So getting to the second flaw, uh, these researchers found that many Apple apps are also excluded. So when you turn on a VPN, you assume that all of your traffic is going through the VPN, right? Well, there are certain Apple apps that are choosing not to be within that VPN tunnel. Wait, choosing an app can choose not to go through a VPN? Apple apps can. But this doesn't sound very secure anymore, does it? Well, that's the thing is like, so Apple is deciding what goes on ultimately with all the traffic, right? A VPN app can only do what Apple allows that VPN app to do. And so on iOS, apparently, according to these researchers, there are certain apps that are able to go past the VPN. And those include the Apple Store. I don't know whether that means like their retail store app. No, the, Yeah, the Apple um, Store app. Yeah. Yeah, not the App Store, which is different. No. There's uh, Clips, Files, Find My, Health, Maps, Settings, and Wallet. All of those things supposedly leaked data. Okay, I would say for most of those, these are apps that really need to be able to get through and not be blocked by a VPN, right? Find My has to always be working. Maps as well, Settings, Wallet, if you're going to make payments. So a VPN, if it were to prevent some traffic from going through some of these apps, that could be a problem. These are important apps. I'd say health a bit less so. Clips, I don't even remember what Clips is. It's to make little video clips, I think. This app's been around for a long time, and I don't think I've ever even seen what it does. <laughs> I've never personally used Clips, but um, the other we'll thing- We'll report back on that too. <laughs> the other thing that it does is it leaks DNS requests, though, So for all of these Apple apps. So, for example, if it's trying to go to something.apple.com, that domain has to be looked up because it needs to be translated into an IP address, a numerical address. So those DNS requests are also leaking. They're also going around the VPN, and that shouldn't really be happening. But these are all just Apple servers, so does it really matter that much? I mean, maybe not. I, I guess it depends on what exactly you're trying to avoid, what, what you're trying to use your VPN for, right? If, if you just don't want websites to see what your real IP address is, then that's, you know, it's using a VPN will still be just fine for that purpose. If you are trying to make it so that people on your Wi-Fi network, let's say the network administrator on a public Wi-Fi network, if you don't want them to know that you have an Apple device, well, they're going to be able to figure out that you have an Apple device because Find My, for example, is going to be communicating that. One more thing that we should note about all this, even though this has been in the news, it's also been in the news that Android leaks some traffic even when you're using an always-on VPN. So it's not like, you know, you can choose one platform or another and have VPN work the way that a VPN is supposed to work. Both Apple and Google are doing things to work around VPNs, which is really obnoxious. So regardless of whether you're using iOS or Android, this is a problem. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about new iPads and the new Apple TV that Josh didn't know anything about. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. 
Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and macOS Ventura 13, as well as Apple's newest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. So, we're going to talk about iPads in a minute, but first we're going to talk about the Apple TV because Josh didn't know it was new, as I mentioned before. I'm kind of surprised that Apple updated the Apple TV. The last update was only a year ago. There's not that much of a difference. There are a couple of features that have changed, which are actually kind of interesting. Um, they have two models. Previously, they had two models just with different storage, but they were exactly the same other than that. The 129 model has 64 gigs of storage and the $149 model has 128. Now, I've never real, what do you use that to store? I mean, if you're downloading a movie, it gets cached. If you download apps, they go in. I guess if, if I were using uh, Apple Arcade and I had a lot of apps, I would notice. I don't even know how much storage is in mine or whether it's used. There are a couple of other differences, though. The more expensive one has an Ethernet jack. The cheaper one doesn't. And the more expensive one has thread networking support. I'm going to link in the show notes to an article I wrote some months ago about thread networking, which is used for smart homes. And this is actually a big deal because if you'd been buying Apple TVs for Thread, and the last one, I believe, was the first one to support Thread, which is also supported by the HomePod Mini, you might buy the new one and save 20 bucks because you don't need Ethernet and not realize that you might have actually wanted to have thread support. What I find so surprising about this is that, you know, you're already spending a minimum of $129 to get an Apple TV. And to spend 20 bucks more, you get twice the storage, you get an Ethernet jack, so you have options to connect it to your network, and you also get thread networking support. All this for 20 bucks? Like, what the heck is even the point of having the 129 model at that point? When you're spending that much, 20 bucks more is like is nothing. You might as well. There's no reason really for anybody to get the 129 model. You might as well get 149. To be fair, $20 for another 64 gigs, that's pretty cheap considering what Apple usually charges for storage in any kind of device. Interesting to note that this is a fanless device. Now, I hadn't realized that the last couple did have fans in them. They're a lot thicker, and that explains it. They're thicker than the previous devices, if you remember the Apple TV HD before this. I like the Apple TV. We've been discussing this, that I never used my TV's interface. Everything goes through the Apple TV, and I find it really convenient. But Josh... He's a cheapskate. He's got a $40 Roku that he uses, which does almost everything that the Apple TV does, right? 
Well, I, I, I do have a Roku 4K model and I use that. I, I actually have a theater room. And so I've got the 4K Roku hooked up to my projector. However, the thing that I use really every day is we have a TV downstairs and it's an old, old TV. I think it's like a 2009 model, but it's 1080p. And so I've got an Apple TV non 4K that's hooked up to that. It runs the latest TV OS. And really, I think as far as the interface goes, I really much, much prefer the Apple TV interface. It costs a lot more than that Roku, but if it's something that I'm using every day, I would much rather have the Apple TV interface for sure. Okay. Two more features that might be useful for some people. It supports HDR 10 plus. Now, depending on which brand television you have, you may or may not have HDR 10 plus. I looked it up yesterday. I believe it was developed by Samsung and Amazon Video. Um, which is a strange partnership. It also comes with a Siri remote with a USB-C port. We'll see in a moment that USB-C is almost universal now in the iPad models. But other than that, there's not a big deal. If you have last year's and you don't need HDR10+, there's no reason to buy this. This does, by the way, have the new version of the Apple TV remote. This is the one that came out, I think, last year was when it first was released. So this is it's silver looking and it has black buttons. And this is very different from the the older style glass one that you could could swipe over the whole top part of the of the device. You couldn't tell which end was the right end when you're in a TV room that's dark. You go to pick it up, you end up swiping. It's terrible. <laughs> well, see, I actually have a glow in the dark case on mine, and so it covers up the bottom half of it and makes it really easy to find right. where the actual top part okay. of it is. Okay. You would have that, Josh. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the iPad. I'll link to my article on the Intego Max Security blog, which iPad is best for you in 2022, which I only updated a few months ago because there were other iPad updates. Apple's done something really weird here. So previously they had four iPad models. Now they have five because they've kept one of the old ones to have a low-priced model. So currently we have the iPad Pro in the two sizes, 11-inch and 12.9-inch. We have the iPad Air, the iPad 10th generation, and the iPad 9th generation. And then we have the iPad mini, which is 8.3 inches. The three middle iPads are 10.2, 10.9, etc. That's kind of overwhelming. That's a lot of models. That's a lot of models because it's five models plus there's two sizes the iPad Pro. So you could technically think of it as six models. One of the problems is, so the iPad X generation, that's just the standard iPad. And it's been, I mean, we're up to the 10th generation. It's been like that for a long time. It now starts at $449, but they're keeping the ninth generation in at $329. The ninth generation is a is a really an inferior product. It's got Touch ID on the front, whereas the 10th generation has Touch ID on the power button. The 10th generation has a almost edge-to-edge -edge display. It's the newer form of the iPad compared to the ninth generation. To me, it seems like they wanted to get the base price up, and they've kept the ninth generation for a while, and they'll discontinue it quietly in a few months. Because when you have five different devices, it's really hard to choose. I've been 
looking at how Apple tends to support devices and how strange it is that Apple still is, for example, selling an iPhone 12 model alongside the 14 because it's cheaper. So they can, you know, sell the old model for, for less. And so you have these, this, these price variations, but don't buy the older generations. It's not worth it. You've got an iPad 10th generation, which you said, you know, that's uh, with the newer regular iPad, non-pro, non air model. And then you've also got the iPad ninth generation that they're still selling. It is cheaper. It's $120 cheaper. It starts at $329. So, I mean, if you're just looking to spend as little as possible on an iPad, sure, it might be tempting to get the ninth generation. But the thing that you should consider, in addition to it not having as many features like Kirk just mentioned, the other thing that you need to be aware of is that it's going to presumably get iPad OS updates for not as long as you would get if you bought the latest model, the latest generation. So if you knew that you could potentially get an extra year's worth of security updates on that device, wouldn't it be worth it to spend an extra 120 bucks? That's kind of my perception on that. So I think there's no reason to get a ninth generation. If you want to save money, Mm, I, I would still recommend avoiding the ninth gen iPad. Most people don't think like that, Josh. You know that. Oh, I know. I know. And that's why I feel like it's not a, it's kind of a terrible thing that Apple is like putting these options in front of people. Don't you want the device? that's not going to be as secure for as long, but they don't tell you yeah. that, of course. Yeah. Okay. Worth pointing out a couple of new features. The iPad 10th generation gets a side camera, front camera. So, you know, when you're doing a, a FaceTime call or a Zoom call, you have to do it in portrait mode because the camera's at the top. Now you can turn it to the side. So it's in landscape mode, which makes a lot more sense. And a lot of people were wondering, why did they put that on the iPad and not on the iPad Pro models, which basically get a bump of an M2 processor instead of an M1. And frankly, I would definitely not recommend to anyone who's got a recent iPad Pro to upgrade because there's hardly any useful features. There is one cool feature with the Apple Pencil. It detects the pencil when it's about 12 millimeters away from the screen. So it kind of shows where the pencil is going to go before you put it on the screen, which could be useful for people who are artists or, or if you're editing photos and all that. But it's not a deal breaker. Hmm. That's, that is interesting. So, so they released two iPad models at the same time. They've got the new 10th generation iPad and they've got, you've got the new iPad pro. And you're saying that only the iPad 10th generation and not the pro gets the new location for the camera. Exactly. Yeah. Why? What? Why? I don't, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> Especially at that price. I mean, it starts at $799 for the 11 inch, $1099 for the 12.9 inch. It's an expensive iPad. It should have the best of everything. Now, okay, well, so the iPad 10th generation, can you use Face ID to unlock it? Or or is that the model that has the Touch ID? The iPad Pros are the only models with Face ID for now. But why couldn't they just train the camera to work sideways, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be on the top to use Face ID. Yeah, I, I don't know about that one. I, I This is this has got to be something that Apple is working on, and maybe they didn't have time to get the technology polished just right. I got to imagine that a coming iPad Pro version, maybe next year, is going to have 
the face ID camera move to the same place, right? It is either going to move the face ID camera or it's going to work in both orientations. Yeah, but given that they only release a new iPad Pro about every 18 months, we can't expect to see that in the near future. It was May 2021 was the last update. That's about 18 months ago. A couple of things that are worth noting. The iPad 9th generation is the last one that has a headphone jack. So if you need an iPad with a headphone jack, this is your last chance. And maybe that's why they're keeping it in stock for a while. Maybe education needs headphone jacks as opposed to Bluetooth headphones. It's also the last one with Touch ID on the front. The three others with Touch ID, it's on the power button. I was asking Josh earlier today, is the Touch ID sensor on a power button, since it's so much smaller, any less secure? And you don't think so. Well, I, I don't know so, but that's what Apple says anyway. Right. I actually looked this up because I was I was curious about that, I thought, oh, that's actually a really good point, right? There's a much smaller surface area that your finger is touching. So theoretically, you know, it's only looking at less of your fingerprint. So maybe it's possible that that means that it's less secure. According to Apple's announcement, when they first talked about Touch ID on the iPad and on the power button, this was in September 2020. And I went back and looked at their pre-recorded, you know, keynote presentation. And these are a couple of direct quotes. They said, this is the smallest authentication sensor we've ever designed. It delivers the same performance, ease of use, and security you know and trust from Touch ID. And they called it a next generation custom sensor that more efficiently captures the details of the fingerprint. So I don't know whether that means that it's actually analyzing the fingerprint more finely than maybe previous touch ID. I don't know. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not like a wide angle touch ID sensor. The, the, the button is relatively thin. So there's only so much of the finger it can detect. I'll give it to Apple and assume that it's, yeah. you know, sufficient, there, right? It, my, my take is that if banks trust it to use Apple pay, then I guess it's more or less trustworthy. There is a page on Apple's site where they they say that, you know, Touch ID has a one in 50,000, you know, false positive rate. And this page hasn't been updated since 2017, which was three years before they came out with this new Touch ID on the iPads. So it's it's hard to say. I mean, basically, Apple hasn't updated that page. So take that for whatever you think it's worth. Well, it makes you wonder if the next iPad Pro might not have face ID because the, the touch ID on the power button is very practical because you're naturally going to press the power button if you don't have face ID. And it's not like you have to wait or press it. I, I just, it, I, I press it and it opens. It's not, it's not any longer than using face ID on my iPad pro. So we'll see about that. But again, about 18 months. Another thing to point out is that the iPad 10th generation, which is a pretty good deal now at 449 compared to the iPad Air is less expensive than the iPad mini which is 499 you'd expect the mini to be a little bit less expensive and it's the third one so the iPad 9th generation 329 the 10th generation 449 then the mini at 499 so it's a bit incoherent if you need to choose an iPad right now I kind of think that 10th generation iPad hits the sweet spot and as often it's the one in the middle of the range that they want to get you toward that they're going to sell the most of the iPad Air has not been updated for a while and the iPad Pro 
I mean, I have an 11-inch iPad Pro. There's absolutely no reason why I would upgrade it. It's a year and a half old. There, there is really no benefit to getting a new one. So if you have one, save your money for something else. Buy a new Apple TV. Buy two Apple TVs. You can afford it. <laughs> All right. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>